preaching through first, second, and presumably third John. And, uh, and then in the evening, we've had a psalm related to the morning passage. And so Paul has chosen Psalm chapter 20. And so I'll read the whole psalm for us. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. superscription that this one has a psalm of David so uh, plus there's two or three others in the New Testament are attributed directly to David that don't have this superscription so uh, over half of the psalms or almost exactly half the psalms are directly attributed to David and I, I don't have any reason to think otherwise other than this is a collection of hymns that took place over over a period of time, uh, and and they are for uh, 
the worship of God for his people. I'm, I'm so grateful to those who did this diligent hard work on the Trinity Psalter hymnal that c contains uh, multiple versions of many of these psalms. There's only one we sang, I think, for this one. Somebody check me on that. But, um, but the beautiful hard uh, um, expression of, um, of love for God and a prayer as was in third John 1 through 4 this morning a prayer for prayers to be answered it's a quite an interesting dynamic how often do we pray that others prayers will be answered even even that we're supposed to pray about and then there's this uh, superscription of the to the choir masters obviously prepared music prepared um, hymns. Many of them have suggestions about the instruments, and we know something of those instruments and what they were like. Not much like our instruments, but nonetheless instruments in worship and choirs in worship. Um, one thing that's uh, a little puzzling to me is that the language of verse 2 is, is, in, is for um, it's a prayer for help from the sanctuary. A psalm of David from the sanctuary. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the sanctuary, the temple, hasn't been built yet, right? So, uh, obviously, it could be the tabernacle sanctuary or the, or the Holy of Holies, the innermost place of the Lord. A prayer for God to intercede uh, from that place. So, it's a wonderful um, psalm. What is, what is the occasion of uh, the song. Um, it's obviously a prayer for confidence, but as I dug into it a little more than, than when I put the outline down, uh, most commentators agree that it is a psalm of preparation, a psalm of preparation for battle, um, a, a psalm preparing God's people to engage in the day of trouble, in the day of conflict, and a prayer that the name of the God of Jacob will protect you in that trouble. You don't have to live long in this world to come to that day. It may not be going to war as, uh, as many think this occasion was on the day of uh, a particular day of battle and David's prayer uh, to get help and support. Uh, it's very, a very near and endearing thought to me as, as I remember my days as a, as a chaplain and I remember uh, being mobilized for war and I remember all the fervent prayers that happened. And the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes is very real. Most people get a, get a great um, desire to get right with the Lord. Even I found many times, even soldiers getting on the back of a C-130 for the first time. That was an uh, occasion of great chapel service. Nothing concentrates a person's mind. Pete, Pete Golden, who was in uh, uh, airborne school, uh, how many times you said you had to jump out of an airplane? Mm -hmm. Eight? Eighteen. Eighteen. How many times did you throw up? None. 
<laughs> okay, I thought you told me I'd say good stuff. I, I kissed the ground 18 times. Oh, you kissed <laughs> so Nothing concentrates your mind when you do, when you're in that kind of situation, uh, uh, like the fact that you could die. And, and that's exactly the kind of an occasion that David writes this psalm. A day of trouble, a day of facing a, a, a great enemy. Um, the older Bible scholars all point to um, really David's first battle. Um, when he was called from the back uh, ranks uh, to engage Goliath and, uh, in the Valley of Allah over in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. And uh, the language is, is very similar here. That day of, of trouble. And what does the, the psalmist do? He begs, he begs the Lord to hear his prayer. How often do we, do we beseech the Lord in that way uh, when we are um, engaged in a time of trouble or, or any other way? But uh, the, the prayer is that the name of God, the God of Jacob, would protect us. And then verse 2, may he send help from the sanctuary and give you support. Again, help from the very place of worship. The idea is there is strength in the collective prayers of God's people. There is strength in the sacrifices that God's people bring. Our offerings are part of prayer. The, the giving of uh, our gifts to the Lord in the Old Testament was the sacrifices that God had prescribed for sin that were to be brought, and they were to be brought uh, in prayer. And then the support that comes from the temple and the temple worship. Uh, the prayer is that God would regard those offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Not that those save us. We saw last Sunday uh, in the psalm we read last Sunday that God doesn't have regard for burnt offerings and sacrifices in terms of our salvation. David in Psalm 51 says, If sacrifice and burnt offerings you have not desired, when he had committed the most heinous of sins, the sacrifices of God are a broken and a contrite and a repentant heart. These are the sacrifices of God. Um, again, what sacrifices do we make? We give our we give our the first part of our income to the Lord. We, we should tithe. We should uh, make regular offerings. Of course, we should uh, above and beyond. We make our faith promise for world missions. All of those are extremely important. But the greatest sacrifice that we're called to make is what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two. After for eleven chapters in Romans. He has expounded the doctrines of grace and what it means to be saved by grace through faith alone. Um, the, the shutting up all humanity, Jew and Gentile alike, in sin. 
there's there's none righteous apart from from Christ and and, and explaining how that is totally and completely by sovereign grace alone in chapters 8 through 11 uh, for the Jew first and then also the Greek, the Gentile, the nations, which is us. What is, what is our response to God's grace? I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your life on his altar as a, re, as a living sacrifice, which is your only rational response to what God has done for you in Christ. Uh, that is the fulfillment of this. Um, may God remember that. May God hear that prayer. Verse four and five. I, I, I forgive me. This is this is probably blasphemous, but but when I when, and so I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I couldn't help but think of Napoleon Dynamite when I read when I read verse four. That shows you how tacky my heart is, right? How many, how many people have seen that movie? Oh, quite a few. Okay. You know, Pedro is the star of that movie in my opinion and he they're running for school he's running for school president and his his campaign is vote for pedro and i will make all your wildest dreams come true <laughs> <laughs> you know i think it was last year we had a guy in the first ward of fayetteville named pedro and i wish i'd lived in the first ward of fayetteville so i could vote for pedro <laughs> and, and the guy and the lady who beat him um, vacated her seat. It just makes me mad thinking about it. We could have had, we, anyway, I, I thought about moving house so I could move it. But, but, but this is, this prayer is almost tailored. Again, uh, I'm sure this, the, the uh, prosperity preachers sees on this. This idea that if you follow God and if you serve him, he's going to give you everything you want. And that the, the politicians are constantly baiting us with this promise. Uh, if you just vote for me, every, you, you're going to be happy and fulfilled. And it's a lot. The only one that can grant your heart's desire and fulfill your plans is the Lord. And the key to having your heart's desire and your plans fulfilled is that your heart is set on Him. Our problem is our heart is often set on the world and the things in the world rather than set upon Him. It is a, a um, a dead, the deadly spirit of our age that, that our our young people are taught, or you know, we hear it constantly. This this constant message to um, uh, follow your heart and do what your heart desires. Well, if your heart is changed, if you have a new heart, because the Spirit of God dwells in you, if the Holy Spirit is in you, 
That's good advice. Because your desires are God's desires. Your desire is that you want to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your heart's desire is that you do want to love others sacrificially. That's your heart's desire. And that's what the psalmist, the psalmist is talking about here. If you want to go out and fight the enemies of God, this is David in the Valley of Elah. He's stepping up with no armor to fight Goliath and the Philistines and take him on in mortal combat. His desire is to defeat this enemy of God in order to glorify and exalt the name of the Lord. If that's your desire with your life, to honor him and to do what he calls you to do, then God is going to fulfill your plan. Because God's number one interest at all times, because he is God and there is no other God, is to glorify and magnify his name. And when his people conform to that by the Spirit of God, Our desires become his desires. And just turn over to 1 Samuel 17 with me. Let's read this uh, part of this account again of David's confrontation. Again, most of the old scholars say this is what's behind uh, this psalm. I'll start, I'll start reading in verse 41. This is after David's gotten rid of all the armor, set it aside, he can't wear it, it's too big and it's too bulky. And, uh, and uh, Goliath has uh, uh, called him out. He's picked up five smooth stones from the brook. He's put them in his pouch and he walks over there. And by the way, I, I, got, to, I got to see David in uh, Florence. And I don't think, just, as I read this and I thought about this, you know, David, that magnificent statue that everybody wants to worship. You know, if you've ever seen it in person, you kind of just like, you get idolatry, you think, oh, wow. I see why people are, they're just goo ooh and hawing over the statue. And there's this magnificent physique that no one could ever possibly have, I don't think. Um, with this sling slapped, stuck over his shoulder, and I thought, how incongruous with the Bible. Mm. David was a handsome, ruddy young man, but there's nothing about his outward form that, that set him apart. In fact, he was the runt that was overlooked when, when uh, Jesse was called to bring his sons forward for Saul to examine. They, they had to go look for him among the sheepfolds and bring him out. And, and uh, so I think that uh, that statue Although it's magnificent, I don't think it does this uh, biblical account justice. And especially when we read this. And the Philistine, that's Goliath, moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. And we know the rest of the story. That's exactly what happened. And this psalm reference, references that. Uh, it is the Lord who wins that battle. For his anointed, just before this, remember David is anointed as king. He's still a young man. Saul is still a king. And as a matter of fact, but David is the anointed. It's important to remember what his anointed means. It means the king. And so this psalm is about him as the king. It's the, it's the word we have for, uh, it's Messiah in Hebrew, Meshach in Hebrew. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is the type of the greater son of David, the Lord Jesus, who will come and defeat all of our enemies. And this is how we should pray this psalm and live this psalm in our day-to-day -day life. And when we think about our heart's desire, when we think about answered prayer, it shouldn't be for our own selfish use, our own selfish gain. It should always be for the glory of God. And may the result, the result was instant victory. Goliath falls. The Philistines are in fear. They run for the hills and Israel tracks them down and slaughters them with a great slaughter. And a great victory is won. And uh, this psalm expresses the heart of that. The Lord will save his anointed. The Lord will, basically, verse 6 says, the Lord will save his king. This word, save, there's another word that's directly related to Jesus. It's, it's basically the root word for the name of Jesus. It's basically Yahshua. It's basically God is salvation. Matthew one twenty one is a verse that every Christian should know. It's what Mary and Joseph were told by the angel when when uh, Mary was told she would conceive a child and give birth to a child and and by the Holy Spirit come into the world. You shall call his name. Jesus. You shall call his name Joshua. Why? 
because he will save his people from their sins. You have an early form in verse 6 of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed. Uh, and and, and, and uh, it, it's Jesus who saves David. It's Jesus who saves his people. It's Jesus who saves you individually. And he saves you not to just be an individual. He saves you to be in the people of God, in his presence, forever. Our God is a personal God. That doesn't mean that he's your private God. Like your computer. It doesn't like your personal computer. And I think sometimes we put, we talk about a personal relationship with the Lord. We think like that. And I even hear people say it. That my God's not like that. Your, your God is not like that. And well, if you're talking about the one true God, I can understand that. But my, many people have created a God in their own image and put them in the place of the living God of the Bible. And they worship an idol. God will have none of that in his people. God will save his anointed king, David. He will answer him from his holy heaven and the saving might of his right hand. And we know from that story that's exactly what happened. And it began the process of David ascending to the throne. But it also began the process of the line of David being preserved to the time of Jesus. Verse 7. Some trust in chariots. What's, what was a chariot in the Old Testament days? That was like that was like a main battle tank. You know, we talk about sending tanks over because tanks are game changers on the battlefield. Um, that's what they were in the first century. And Israel was told not to have not to have those. They were told not to have big stables of horses and chariots, and yet the kings did it, did it anyway. Why were they told not to have those things? Because they were to trust in the Lord. To bring victory, not in military might. That is a lesson for us always in the, in the Christian church. In every generation, we're in danger of losing sight of that great truth. We're not to trust in military might. We're not to trust in anything but the name of the Lord. No matter how fears and how strong it appears that the enemies of God are and the enemies of his church is and those who hate the Lord Jesus and hate his people are we have really good news they are already defeated we can be courageous in the face of everything Satan and his minions whether they're demonic minions or whether they're um, the enemies of God who, who uh, serve themselves and hate him because what's going to happen to them verse 8 tells us very plainly they're going to collapse and fall but we rise 
and stand upright. This is uh, this is where confidence comes in. This is this is this is what to change your life radically. Where whatever circumstances, whatever place you, of difficulty you might find yourself in, if the Lord Jesus has you, you are in Christ. Then He tells us in John seventeen that He has us in His hand, and that nothing can snatch us from the Father's hand. Nothing. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, neither life nor death nor, nor things created nor things um, in heaven or earth, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should not fear the enemies of God. We should not be afraid at threats that come, and they do come quite often from the enemies of God to his people. They come in different forms and in different ways. And sometimes they reveal our worst fears. But the truth is, if you're a child of God, held in the Father's hand, nothing can separate. The enemies of God will collapse and fall but we will stand upright. We will be raised up. The Lord will save the King David. The Lord will save you as well if you are in Christ. The Lord will answer you when he calls, when you call on him. Let us pray. Father, you know the heart and mind of everyone here. You know everyone here who has called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. And you know everyone who has not. And Father, if someone is here tonight who has never called upon the name of the Lord to forgive their sins and transform them and transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, our prayer is that you would do this even now, that they would ask, for forgiveness, ask for your righteousness, ask for the ability that can only come from you to change their mind, resulting in a change of life, that they would quit serving Satan and quit serving evil and walk in newness of life through the, the gracious power of what Jesus has done for sinners to die in our place, and to be raised for our justification. And we are in him, we will be raised with him, and we will live forever in your presence. Thank you for that great good news. Thank you for the confidence that the gospel gives us in, in the face of the onslaught of our war against the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Father, these enemies of our souls, the world, the flesh, and the devil that you have defeated in Christ. Father, we pray this for each one here, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.